Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, uh, we are going to be looking at, in defense of freedom, the, the thought is, as we are looking in, at uh, on the verge of the 4th of July and celebration of that, when we see the, our flag, it may cause us to think about multiple things, but generally throughout our nation's history... Our flag has been a representation of freedom. Now, there are things underway today and have been for some time now to try to discredit that, try to get people to believe that it is not a free land that we live in, that it is a corrupt land, and we would be blind if we did not say our country has its share of uh, difficulties and evils and uh, plenty of areas that, as believers, we need to be fighting strong against. But throughout our nation's history, our flag has been a reminder of freedom. If you have not heard any of the interviews, and, and she has done multiple interviews, but it is really... It, it, it really changes your perspective of the freedom that we have. It gives you a new pre- appreciation. Um, if you just look up a North Korean defector, um, her name is Yeomi Park. Um, she's in her early 20s now, and she escaped from North Korea when she was 13 years old. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of her story, but... She has had a very uh, horrific life in North Korea and then her escape. And obviously there's things in there with her story that, that uh, would be for adults only to hear her story. Uh, but I encourage you to listen to her talk of finding freedom for herself and being able to come to the United States and seeing what it means to have freedom. It will change your perspective. But freedom is a wonderful thing. And we many times forget how blessed we are by the freedom that we have today. The fact that we could get in our vehicle that we own, or at least mostly own, and drive to church knowing that there's going to be other believers there, knowing that we can gather in here, we can sit in peace, and we don't have to be terrified of officials breaking into the doors and arresting us. The freedom that we have, we many times take for granted. I came across this quote, and I I couldn't find who, who first said it, but... The quote is, freedom is expensive to get and hard to keep. And I think people have said variations of that throughout history. But freedom is expensive to get and is very hard to keep. And in thinking of our nation's history and the freedom that we have today that we take for granted, what we see is a very costly freedom that we get to sit and enjoy today. Now, the 4th of July, as we 
celebrate it should be more than just a time of, hey, let's go to a parade, let's get together with family, let's, let's grill, let's have a good time. Now, I think that can be part of the celebration, but it ought to be a remembrance of the freedom that we have and a celebration of the price that was paid for our freedom. And many times our, our holidays, just like Thanksgiving, should be a time of pausing and reflecting to our Creator and giving thanks to Him. Many of our holidays over time, we lose what they were designed for in the first place. And Fourth of July can be no different. But it should be a time to pause and to give thanks to God, but then also remembering those who gave their lives and who sacrificed for our freedom. This past week here up on the square, there was a the group that read the Declaration of Independence. And the, the end of the, the Declaration of Independence, it ends like this, and it says, and for the support of this declaration, of their declaring independence from Great Britain, they said, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, with reliance on God and his protection, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, you can imagine this was not something that they gathered into lightly. This was, this was a very serious thing, that they were declaring this to the world power at that time. And they said, as a group, we are joining together with God's help and his protection, relying on him. We pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, this is part of the, the remembrance that we are doing for our freedom. But I just wanted to uh, briefly share that pledge that, that ma- those men made, those 56 signers. How did it end up? Well, for them, five of the signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds and hardships of the Revolutionary War. So that pledge that they made, they took very seriously and they kept to. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships swept by the seas of the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts, and he died penniless in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in Congress without pay. There's an idea, isn't it? (laughs) Might not be a bad idea. His family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, and poverty was his reward. Uh, Vandals or soldiers of both looted the property of Ellery, Clymer, Hall, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over Nelson's home for his headquarters. The owner quietly urged General George Washington to open fire. His home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. Francis Lewis and his home and properties were destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife and she died within a few months. We could go on, but all of them sacrificed greatly for the freedom that we get to enjoy. 
It's easy to forget of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we might have that freedom today. But even more than the freedom that we experience as Americans sitting here today in a free land, even with its problems, even more we ought to, as believers, be celebrating the spiritual freedom that we get to enjoy as believers. 1 Corinthians 6.20 reminds us, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So it's that reminder that you were bought with a price. The freedom that you have, the forgiveness of sin that you have, is a costly freedom. It is not something to be taken lightly. And as Americans, we ought to be thinking, the freedom that we have, how am I using that freedom? But then as believer, how am I using the freedom that I have in knowing that my sins are forgiven? How am I using that? In verse 27 of the passage we read, It starts out by saying, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the gospel. So he says it this way, may your conduct be worthy of the gospel. So as, as Americans, we ought to say, am I living a life that is honoring to those who sacrifice that I might have this freedom. So am I living as a free person in in liberty in a way that that brings honor to those that sacrifice so I could have this freedom? But here, Paul is reminding the believers, he is saying, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live in a way that brings God honor and glory by how you are living, that the sacrifice that he made is not in vain. There's a, a pretty famous movie that, that talks about, uh, it's uh, based off of, the world, off of World War II, and one of, there were four brothers that went to war. Three of the brothers ended up dying, and there was a mission put underway, and I'm, I don't want to go long into this, but there was a mission put underway to rescue this last brother so that there would be a, a remaining survivor of the family. Now, this mission went to go and rescue him, and we won't go into that. But the captain that was leading this rescue mission ended up getting wounded and ended up dying from his wounds. And before he passed away, he took this young man that they found, that they, that they rescued and were going to take back to freedom... And he told this young man, his dying words was, he said, earn it, earn it. Meaning what? Earn or live up to the sacrifice that I have made and the other guys that have perished too. Earn what we have, what the price that we have paid. And I thought, you know, that's a good reminder for we as believers today. How many times... Do I live in a way not to earn my salvation? I can do nothing to earn God's merit or God's favor. But do I take seriously this task of living my life in a way that glorifies the sacrifice that Jesus made? Do I live in a way that my conduct is worthy of the gospel? So in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1... It says it like this, I 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Colossians 1 and verse 10 says, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12, it says, urging you to live lives worthy of God. Now, as, as I said, this is not to say you need to earn God's acceptance, you need to earn God's forgiveness, you need to earn God's love. No, that writing to believers, he says, live a life worthy of the gospel that you have received. So because I am a believer, it means I should live a certain way. It doesn't mean that I can just live for self and my own comforts, just as being a free American... I should live in a way that, that brings, brings uh, praise to our country. I should live in a way that freedom, not freedom for my own self and my own uh, pleasure, but I should live in a way that, brings, uh, that is honoring to those that have paid the price. Even more than that, I should live in a way that is glorifying to God. So living worthy, what does that look like? Well, in our passage... In Philippians chapter chapter 1 and verse 27, he says, let your conduct be worthy. And then if you skip down in the verse, it says that you stand fast or that you stand firm. So Paul is saying living a life that is worthy is this idea of standing firm in the gospel. Now, I'm going to ask Jay to put, I have another picture. Um, this, this picture... Uh, that Paul was telling to the believers was probably he was probably referencing the Roman army and how they would stand firm together by locking their shields together as a defense as protection. Now you can see how how you can kind of see how they're locking their shields together and it was important that they stand firm that they stand united and stand firm together. Because uh, that saying, uh, a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. They knew they needed one another. If one person broke, it would completely ruin their, their defense. And in this formation, they, could, they were protected from the front, but they were also protected from arrows, from aerial attacks. And they could move forward. So when Paul was writing, this is probably the mental picture that many of the believers had when he said, stand firm in the gospel, be, be strong in the gospel, or stand firm, firmly planted. We today are not facing a physical enemy, but we are in a battle, a battle of good versus evil, you could say, a battle of light versus darkness. We are in a spiritual battle. And God did not save us for a life of comfort and vacation and ease. But he, when he saved us, he recruited us as members of his army to stand firm in the fight. Just as we look at our founding fathers of our country, they signed that Declaration of Independence and as they did that, they said, we're pledging these things. We're pledging to give everything for this, for our freedom. When we gave our life to Christ, we were saying, we, we should have been laying down, Lord, I give, you, I give you my life, I give you my all. And God wants to use us 
in the fight for his honor and glory. So our founding fathers did not fight so that we could just gradually throw away our freedom, but that generation after generation might be free. So stand firm with confidence, knowing who our commander is. So those Romans, they would, they would get their commands and they would know what their task was. They were, would know how they were to move. Our commander has given us commands too. We know how to live. We know what our commander is teaching us. First and foremost, love God. He, he made it really simple. He said, I'm going to make it so simple, I'm going to give you two commands. Love God, first and foremost, and then love others. Love God first, and then love others. We have those commands. And he says, stand firm with confidence, knowing who our commander is. But then he also says that we should stand firm, uh, grounded in the word of God. So I want you to picture, um, if you've ever played tug of war, I know uh, during Bible time, the, the teens, they did some tug of war. If you've ever played tug of war, you, you want to make sure you get your feet firmly grounded. Now, if it's slippery conditions, which we've done this before, where we've taken a tarp and put like soapy water out there and then played tug of war, that ends up being kind of dangerous because people are flying everywhere. Because you can't get a good grounding of your feet. But if you're playing tug of war, you want to get your feet firmly grounded. You want to make sure you have good uh, shoes that have good grip on them. You want to make sure that your feet are solid before that game starts. So you'll often see people are grabbing the rope and they're trying to maybe wrapping their arm around the rope a little bit and they're getting their feet set up. Or... Uh, Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a sporting event and the, the kicker, either in soccer or football, if there's a penalty kick, or they'll make sure that grounding is good right where they're going to plant that foot because they do not want it slipping because it'll throw everything off. You and I as believers, our feet ought to be grounded in the word of God. And that means as individuals, I need to myself be in the word of God. It is not enough for me to just come on a Sunday and sit here for a half hour and hear the word of God and then go the rest of the week. I am in a battle. I need grounded in the word of God. I need personally my feet grounded in the word of God. And so hopefully some of our studies that we do help encourage that to say, I need to first and foremost myself hear from our commander by being grounded in his word. But standing firm is also being prepared and expecting a fight. Many times we go through life as Christians not expecting a fight. We want everything to just go smoothly. We want there to be no difficulties. We want there to be no, no resistance. But that's not reality, and that's not what God tells us. He says, that we ought to strive together, that we ought to be standing firm because, John 10, 10, we have an enemy who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So just as if you've ever seen somebody that hasn't played tug of war before, maybe they're standing upright and they're just standing there holding the, holding the rope, right? And they probably won't last very long if the other people know what they're doing. 
They don't have their feet grounded. They're not getting their, they're not leaning back, getting their momentum. They're not prepared for a fight. Um, you've seen this if you watch sports. Uh, a lot of times there's one team that's more physical than the other. And sometimes you can tell, well, that team was just not prepared for the fight. They weren't ready for the physical nature of this battle. Sadly, many times as Christians, we go through life not prepared for the fight. So we ought to know the tactics of our enemy. We ought to know personally, what areas do I have weaknesses in that are areas that my enemy likes to attack? How can I stand firm against these attacks? In 1 Corinthians uh, 16 and verse 13, it says, Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. It's hard to confuse that verse, isn't it? Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. So we ought to stand firm in the faith. You know, as we think of our nation's history, of the men that stood firm, what our nation needs right now is for we as believers to stand firm in the faith. To take a stand for what is true, for what is right, and to stand firm in the faith. But then this passage goes on and he says, Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So as believers, we should stand united. As a country, we call ourselves the United States of America. The United States of America. Now, there are times where we are not very united. But in our, in our beliefs, in our constitution, we say we are united in these beliefs. How sad it is that many times as Christians, who should be the most united in Christ, we see the most division and fighting and conflict, many times over minor things. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says... Um, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, to beseech you again to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the church should be one that is unified in Christ. The idea is that we are to work together as a team. Now, when I think of teams, most of the teams that I've been a part on, a part of, have not ever been very unified. Um, the teams that I played for, there was not much unity, and we were never very good. It wasn't just because of the unity, but that definitely would have helped us achieve higher things. We weren't very good because of multiple issues, but in playing soccer, um, I really enjoyed playing soccer. I took it seriously. I loved playing soccer, but the majority of my teammates didn't really care about it. It was something fun for them to do. And so we had different visions and ideas of what, uh, what, what it was going to look like. There was not a lot of unity, and we, we never achieved what we possibly could have, 
if we had been unified in our goal. As, as Christians, many times are, we don't have unity because we have individual goals. Maybe our goals for the church are, I want to see this program added, or I want to see this added, or what can I get out of the church? The church isn't doing this for me. Um, I need to go to a different church that, that gives me this. And we have very, very selfish goals many times in coming to the church instead of looking at it as, I am a soldier in the Lord's army. These are my, my soldiers with me. We need one another. We're in this fight together, and we have the greatest commander of all. There ought to be a unity of spirit. Unity does not mean uniformity, but it does mean oneness of purpose. So God has given us different gifts, different abilities, different passions, but within the body of Christ, there should be unity. So he says that we might be, that we might be unified in Christ, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then he says, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. We ought to stand fearlessly as believers. Matthew 10 talks that don't fill them, don't fear them that can only destroy the body, but fear God who holds both body and soul. So we ought to stand fearlessly. John 15:18 Jesus says, "Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Understand that it hated me first. So don't be surprised that the world hates you. They have a different master. They don't have the same commander. They're not on the same team. They're not unified with you. Don't be surprised that they hate you. When I think of standing fearlessly, we could look to many examples throughout history, but a biblical example, I often think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they would not bow down before the king, and the king said, it, uh, it made him mad. And he, I'm going to give you one last chance. If you don't bow down, I'm casting you into the fiery furnace. And you remember they said, King, we're not going to bow down to you. We know that the God who we serve is able to save us. But if he doesn't, still know that he's the one true God. And you remember, he was so mad at them that they would resist his authority and his power that he made them heat that furnace up even hotter, so much so that when the guards took these three men down there, it says that the guards perished from the heat. And I love that account because that is standing fearlessly in the face of opposition. Not, not because of their own, no, oh, we're not going to bow down, you can't make it. No, we serve God and God alone. And we answer to God and God alone, and we are not going to bow down before this idol king. And of course, I love the ending of the story of, didn't we cast three men into the, in the furnace? But there's a fourth man in there with the appearance of the son of, son of God. What a wonderful account that that is. So stand fearlessly. And then with that, verse 29, stand willing and ready to suffer for the cause of Christ. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, 
and now here in me. That be willing and ready to suffer. When our founders signed the Declaration of Independence, they knew what that would probably mean for them. And they were willing and ready to suffer. As believers, are we willing and ready to suffer? James 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face suffering or trials of various kinds. Matthew 5 says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So suffering may appear to be a a strange gift from God, but it's not. Suffering for the sake of Christ is purposeful, not purposeless. So God uses suffering in our life, and as believers, we should expect suffering. That does not mean we should go and look for ways to suffer. There's enough suffering in life that we don't need to go looking for ways to suffer. But don't, be, don't avoid suffering when you're doing it for righteousness' sake. And then lastly, stand till the end. Stand until the end. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, a wonderful passage, but verse 58 ends the chapter talking about the resurrection and, and how it has conquered death. And because the sting of death is removed, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, or stand firm in the faith, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So be steadfast and movable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing what our mission is, knowing what our calling is, and standing fast in it. Galatians 6, 9 says it like this. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or if we do not faint. So... The freedom that we have been given today, the freedom as Americans, use that freedom to bring honor to those that sacrifice. But so much more importantly, the freedom that we have as Christians, that we have been set free from the bondage of sin, do not use that to bring about your own pleasure and your own glory, but use it for the one that sacrificed and gave himself for us. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we, we do give thanks for the freedom that we find in you. We give thanks that, that we have been set free from the bondage of sin. Lord, we do not have to be slaves of sin any longer, but your word tells us slaves of righteousness. Lord, help us to stand fast in the faith, that we would have our feet firmly planted in your word, that we would live in a way that brings glory to you. Lord, that we would live a life worthy of the salvation that we have. Lord, I thank you for giving us this task. I thank you for giving us your word that clearly shows us how we ought to live, how we ought to live in the midst of suffering, how we ought to live in, uh, when facing persecution. Lord, how we ought to live every day of our lives. May we be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.